to Monday here on What the Truck. I'm doing her with Michael Vincent, the dude. What's going on from a, a, a beautiful fall afternoon here in, in Chattanooga, the heart of Freight Alley? Hey, it says beautiful fall afternoon here. Yeah. It's, it's a little chilly. You haven't changed that in a while. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so beautiful out there today. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was watching the news this morning, and uh, do you think Taiwan takes the coronavirus seriously? There was a, uh, there was a man there. He was fined $3,500. For breaking quarantine for a mere eight seconds. Yeah, right. So he stepped out of his hotel room for eight seconds, just into the hallway, maybe take a breather or something yeah. like that. Didn't even see anybody, caught on CCTV and uh, $3,500. So. $3,500. Non-negotiable. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? There, there's, uh, the data's working. We've had, a, we've had a long time to compile this stuff. And the way Taiwan has handled this versus the way the United States yep. has has been vastly different. Um, what, 23 million people there, but only 716 cases and seven deaths. Yeah, exactly. So it, it works, right? So, it, But it they works. started early. They started, yeah. you know, it, it, rumors and, hey, this thing is happening in Wuhan. Uh, almost a year ago, they started screening passengers December 31st. immediately. Yeah. yeah, December 31st. New so, Year's yeah. Eve. But they yeah. haven't had lockdowns. So they haven't had lockdowns. So the rules there are stricter in some ways, but maybe a little less enforced in other ways in terms of businesses and everything. But it makes you think, and you look at their model, and then you look at what we did in the United States. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic here, there was all that talk about hotels and travel, right? And how restaurants sure. couldn't, like, like, couldn't we have done? And maybe there's still time. Can't we use some of these hotels to put people in and the government can give stimulus that way by paying for people to be in there and maybe well they're not on the on the job and pay the restaurants to feed these yeah, people the ancillary businesses around it keep them entertained keep them fed uh, while they're in there that type of stuff you'd hope it i mean it sounds like a great idea but uh you know i don't know is it giving the government the ability to since you have this condition now you're quarantined or yeah. and have to go in here and can be fined for leaving is that the slippery slope people are afraid of and not willing to broach that subject it worked yeah. And it, whatever we're doing here doesn't seem to be working. I mean, I'm a child of the <laughs> 80s, so, like, every movie I watched yeah. specifically told you not to trust the government. Yeah. You know, like, they're going to steal your alien and you're going to have to ride through the woods <laughs> you know, on a bicycle. Well, that's or what they're, they're going to take do. your science that's project. exactly their goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. But, you know, it seems like we, we probably got to do something here in the United States. I'm happy to be talking to Taylor Wilkerson um, a little bit after we get to the headlines, though. He'll get us up to date on what's going on with vaccine logistics. But in the meantime, let's tip the band. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Reliance Partners, the nation's premier commercial insurance agency for the transportation and logistics industry. Focus on your destination. Let us watch your back. Learn more about Reliance Partners at Tell them, Dude. At ReliancePartners.com. Go there immediately after the show. Tell them Chad sent you. Won't do anything for you, but just tell him that anyway. He's a good man. Sure thing. <laughs> well, hey, you know, with Nicola, you know, you, we have to cover the good and the bad. And here's actually some good news. So maybe they're writing the ship. Despite Nicola's yeah. woes, the electric truck plant is progressing in Arizona. They've even been showing videos. People have been flying drones over there for a while. And when they didn't see progress, people were trying to sound the alarms. Well, Milton's gone. The specter of the Badger's gone. And Alan Adler reports that officials in Coolidge, Arizona, report that Nikola Corp is making significant construction progress on the first phase of its $600 million electric truck plant assembly. It's a bit of positive news for the beleaguered startup, right? Nikola last week saw the collapse of an equity tie-up with General Motors and a two-day 40% drop in stock prices as early investors dumped their shares at the first opportunity. 
Yeah, they did. And with those events over, attention now shifts to, uh, you know, them riding the ship. Nicholas planned uh, milestones, including the prototype battery in uh, in Germany, right? Truck yeah. production in Germany and building this U.S. plant. And so, Gilbert Lopez, everything is moving the way it's supposed to. Gilbert Lopez, Economic Development Director of the City of Coolidge, told Freightwaves last Wednesday, uh, Coolidge is a town of 13,459 residents, 56 miles southeast of Phoenix and 60 miles west of Tucson. Uh I've seen where it was said, well, the groundbreaking occurred and nothing happened, is what Lopez said. Well, the plans had to be turned in and reviewed on a project this size. You've got to get approvals before you can just start building structures, right? Which makes perfect sense. So I guess they've got those permits and they're rocking and rolling. Well, I mean, some of the critics, too, they said, well, you know, isn't a desert a stupid place to build a hydrogen production facility, because where do you get the water from, right? That'd, well, be, that'd be my first question, Dooner. I don't know. They tried to explain it a little bit here. I'm not sure if it jives with me 100%, but they say the months between the July 23rd groundbreaking and the uh, start of construction on September 30th, you know, it led to a lot of those detractors. They did the drone flyers, but they're saying the water supply of the industrial site comes from multiple potential sources. That is from their head of manufacturing, Mark Duquesne. He told Freightways in early October, I guess that's not Trevor Milton's brother, their head of hydrogen. I actually think think that they uh, they got rid of him as well. Yeah. Okay, well, he says they have wells on site, right? They have wells on site which could be used uh, to self-serve their water supply, or we could use water from the Global Water, that's a company in Coolidge, to access it. They actually face a lot of pressure, though. So this isn't without stakes. They can't just not build this thing. Right. They have to stay on track. If they beat a two-year start of construction deadline set by Pylan Holdings, uh, by five months, they will, uh, they'll provide 430 acres for the plant. Um, Nicola has to complete construction by February 2024, they forfeit $4 million of a security mm-hmm. deposit. The money will be returned when the project is complete. Delays could cost Nikola $200,000 a month. And if it bails, PLH can keep that entire security deposit. And we talk about those shares. Well, Robert Bosch, they sold $4 million of their shares the day that lockup, uh, the day that lockup uh, rolled over on Tuesday. So... They reduced their stake by 4.9%, which is almost a a strategic move, too, if you're familiar with stocks and those numbers, um, or so my stock friends tell me. Yes. Yeah, I I don't understand that, but yeah. Yeah, I don't either. But I guess that's what you do. You don't want to see it trickle out or something. Yeah. Well... Here's here's some news, too. I mean, we've been talking about spot rates a bunch. We've been talking about freight volumes. Well, produce spot rates, they broke $10,000 per load in November. Zach Strickland, he recorded this on his wonderful chart of the week over the weekend. And according to the USDA, spot rates for truck loads hauling produce are hitting their highest mark of the year, with rates exceeding $10,000 in certain lanes across the U.S. Follow the What the Truck newsletter or some of our segments up here. Whenever I ask you what's the most expensive lane going in America right now, it's always some sort of a reefer lane or, or produce lane going on in, in produce is starting to get expensive. What else is going on? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely goes goes really high. But, you know, so the produce, which includes fresh fruits, vegetables, typically transported on reefer that we mm. know. That's refrigerated trailers for all the lay people out there. Uh, so in the earlier chart of the week article, we, we highlighted how reefer volume grew and has outpaced dry van counterparts through most of 2020, right? Mm. But it hasn't been a really slow I mean, it hasn't been a dramatic climb. It's been just steady, strong, and it's come up again. So cold chain distribution shifts following the pandemic, along with much smaller supply of available space capacity, was made the reefer carrier a much more valuable commodity than compared to 2019. Uh, I mean, when you look at the costs, it's extremely impaired. 10000 
And well, we've had some in the five dollar range. And so here, so to put some context for you too, if you're not familiar with what these rants go for, the average rate for moving a produce load from Salinas Valley in Salinas Valley in Northern California to Philadelphia, it had risen from seven thousand five hundred and fifty dollars in mid June, which is a typical average uh, late spring peak to that ten thousand one hundred and fifty dollars the end of November. And if you've been through the checkout line, you are you're seeing these prices. You know, this transportation cost is starting to come out of uh, out of our wallets. Yeah, they're absolutely going up a little bit. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that myself. You know, so over the weekend, because I'm, I'm a freight nerd, I'm sitting in bed at like 8.30 in the morning, and I was, I was looking at a container accident, and it got me looking at container accidents up sea. Mm. And we have a chart here. Can we bring this chart up about um, containers lost at sea per year? Let's get that up on screen, please. There we go. Uh, so you take a look at this, and you go, well, what the hell happened in 2013, right? Massive spike, massive spike. Bermuda Triangle? <laughs> we covered that on radio. <laughs> Last Saturday was, uh, was the anniversary. Anniversary, right? On this yeah. day in history when we lost, um, what was it? Five Flight planes? 19. Yeah, Flight 19. Yeah. Uh, we should ask NASA about that one at we Space should've. Waves. We should have. But anyways, when you look at this, you'll see that over what, over 5,000 containers were lost in 2013, where the, where the average is around you know 1,500 or less per year. So what happened is the, mole co- the MOL Comfort, it sank and had 4,293 containers on. We have some pictures of this sinking here. The total cost was roughly $400 million in insurance claims <laughs> and 100 plus lawsuits, right? Marine cargo insurance don't leave port without it. But I'll tell you one thing. There are a couple of comments because I put this on LinkedIn. If you, f- yeah. if you follow me on LinkedIn, um, the only real good news on this is that because the ship actually sank, you don't have to pay general average. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's the good thing. The general yeah, that, average will get you, man. Yeah. General <laughs> average will. So for those of you unfamiliar, so if that board, if that boat, they were able to salvage it and, and some of the containers, then everybody who has containers on that ship would have to pay some portion of the loss, commiserate with the uh, the value of their own yeah, goods yeah, and the, the goods on the shipment, and, yeah. and it's figured out. I'm not an insurance agent. Talk to one about it, but yeah, interesting stuff there. Yeah, but, general Average isn't so cool. Is that the one with the ducks? That no, we're, you know what though? We were just talking about the ducks, and we want to cover some of this. Uh, we'll have some big news about what's going to happen with what the truck gotcha. next year, and we'll we'll give that to you maybe on our holiday special to, to give you something to wet your whistle. There but um, we'll definitely be adding more historical segments and stuff like that. So just just a little tip off. Uh, people in the comments too. What's it called? So Eric Serta says to, to do what Taiwan's doing. You have to get half of the country to even admit that there uh, that there is a virus. <laughs> Good yeah. point. Yeah. Very solid point. Well, you know what? We're going to talk to someone who knows a bit about this virus. It is Taylor Wilkerson. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today on What the Truck. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Hey, just give us a little quick uh, elevator pitch on you. I know you're a great uh, Twitter follow and (laughs) a good LinkedIn follow, but let the audience know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, I'm a supply chain nerd. Um, I work at MITRE Corporation, our healthcare group. been at MITRE about two years, uh, but doing supply chain work for uh, about 20, um, which is amazing because I'm only 30 years old. Um, but uh, most of the time I'm working, I've been working with uh, federal government and the public sector in supply chain, which is uh, a different perspective. Um, and about the past 10 years, a lot of that focus has been on healthcare, both here domestically within the U.S., as well as uh, global health, working with USAID and, and Gates Foundations and others in uh, various places around the world. 
Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this this vaccine, and um, maybe we'll start with the, with the people side yeah. of it because Jake McLeod he brings up a, a good point here. We were talking about how Taiwan's handled it versus the United States. There are 736 cases and seven deaths versus our you know astronomical numbers. He says, I think everyone knows it's real, Eric. Just a matter of I'm under 50 and in good health, just not super concerned with it. I think there's some fatigue going on. We also have a clip, right? We'll have a yeah. clip from radio. <laughs> let's play that really quick, and we'll see what you think, Taylor. Yeah. I don't know if I want to take that vaccine because uh, I know a friend of mine, he took the vaccine, it, tur- it turned him into the werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can, can I request that one? <laughs> you know, I, I already got some body hair and a beard. <laughs> Taylor, so, you know, there's a lot of sentiment here in the United States. There's some people who are just really thirsting for this thing. There's some people who are dismissive, and some people are downright afraid of it. Get us up to speed. What's happening with logistics? We know it's dropping soon, right? Right, and it is uh, as early as this week. Pfizer is expected to get the emergency use authorization from FDA, and then Moderna, which is a, a similar vaccine, is going under review next week. So uh, it, it is impending, and it's going to be going out. Um you know, one of the, the way it's going to roll out, though, is uh, CDC uh, just released their guidelines on how to prioritize who gets it first. And it's going to go to uh, the healthcare workers who are dealing directly with COVID patients first, as well as people in long-term care facilities. Um, so I, I think, you know, we talk about the vaccine hesitancy. By the time this gets out to the, the general public, it's going to be um, by springtime next year, um, at, at the earliest, when it, it's available for folks who are uh, perfectly healthy, as you, know, as you said, folks under 50, I think there's going to be enough people who have had it at that point that you're really going to be able to counter the, the fears. You know, certainly you're not going to see people turn into werewolves, but it, but in general, you're going to see um, you know enough people have had it that that there'll be more uptake. And I think also. You know, there's a lot of time for the communications to follow up on that to tell, you know, explain to people why it's safe. So uh, one of the things, Taylor, that it came up during discussions this weekend as well was, you know, the emergency looking for emergency uh, uh, approval to send this stuff out. Right. Yeah. And stepping it up and pushing it. And it seems like the general public uh, thinks that a bunch of protocols were were skipped. And that's why they're hesitant about this type of stuff. But I. I do you, I don't even know what those protocols are. Is it, it have protocols been skipped or is it just that they've done everything right, but they've expedited the process because we're in such dire need to have this happen? Yeah, I think it has primarily been expediting the process. I mean, you, you think about this. We first found out about this vaccine about a or, or sorry, this disease about a year ago. And you think, you know, we're now getting ready to launch a product. You think of any other product launch, you know, any industry from concept to out, you know, shipping out the door in a year, that's phenomenal. And then you throw in the fact how complex the, the biologics and vaccine are, it's amazing. Um, the emergency use author- authorization, sort of the difference between that and the, the full FDA approval is, um, it's really minimal. I mean, these have gone through three stages of trials. They've gone through to prove they are perfectly safe. Um, usually, when you're going for the full FDA approval, you're talking about tweaking the product to make it more temperature stable. You know, you, we've you mentioned several times the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius. Pfizer, I'm sure, would like to have six more months or a year to do some testing to see if they can get it to normal freezer temperature or even room temperature, so it's easier to distribute. Mm-hmm. So it's skipping things like that. The vaccine is going to be perfectly safe. Um, 
and that's you know that's what FDA is reviewing now. Taylor, what about so I saw a really interesting comment on your LinkedIn, and it was actually mentioning something I hadn't thought about. It was counterfeiting of this vaccine. So maybe the official ones are safe, but how do we avoid getting the counterfeit version of this vaccine? And what kind of danger lurks there? So you know, with with any medicine, there there's a, a huge danger danger of counterfeiting, and and counterfeiting of me, any medicine falls into sort of two categories. One, people are out. To, to make a buck and are just going to put in, you know, just uh, salt tabs or just saline for the vaccine, and it's not really going to hurt you. It's just not going to help you. Um, or, you know, it could be something that actually is damaging. I think for the the, the vaccines that we're talking about now, um, the supply chains are going to be pretty tightly controlled. Uh, you know, Pfizer has their supply chain. They're tracking the whole thing through. Every container has a GPS unit in it. Uh, McKesson, who's doing the distribution for uh, the other vaccines for the federal government, um, you know, they're they're tracking, controlling their supply chain pretty closely, and both of those are taking it factory to the clinician who's going to put the shot in your arm. So it's a it's a tightly controlled. You know, I think if you want to avoid counterfeit, the easiest thing to do is, you know, go to the official place where the the vaccine comes out. Um, but you know, it it is an issue. It is a concern. I know folks are looking at we've we've. Um, through our healthcare coalition, have been doing a series of webinars on uh, counterfeit prevention, and uh, you know th- this has been a topic that that's come up on those as well. Wow! So, Michael, when he says approved places, are there like drug dealers and alleys, or like you want some Molly, or you want some COVID nineteen vaccine? The, just check the label. Just, just check the label. If it's, if it's checked, if it's spelled with a K, <laughs> probably don't take that one. Maybe not. No, don't take that one. But uh, Taylor, you uh, yourself describe yourself as a logistics uh, nerd or, or or geek. I don't. Hmm. I can't remember which one you said, but I they're both similar. <laughs> but talking about talking about logistics people and truck drivers in particular, and the two shots. Right? How, how is that going to work? And I mean, it, do you have to sign something when you take the first shot? I mean, how, do, how does that work? We don't want to waste half of a dose, right, yeah. by somebody taking it and not doing the other. And how do you coordinate a guy or gal traveling cross country over the road trucker hitting it uh, twice in two approved places, right, in the in this specified time frame? Yeah, the the, the two doses I think is one of the the uh, factors that's going to be. A complexity that that is going to be a huge challenge for this. You know, you think about um, what's required is you get one dose of the vaccine, and then depending on the vaccine, within three or four weeks, uh, you need to go get a second dose of that same vaccine. And we're talking about you know by the spring, uh, you know, probably five or so vaccines out on the market. So, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge because uh, you know, as you mentioned, the the average person probably is not going to know I got the Moderna vaccine mm-hmm. and I need to go back and get the Moderna vaccine. They're just going to show up at their, you know, CVS or Walgreens or wherever they, they go to get the shot and say, Hey, I need my second round. Um, so there, there are plans to uh, track people or not track people to, to give people uh, a way to, uh, to track who has what vaccine. Um, they're talking about things called, uh, a digital yellow card. I don't know if you've all traveled uh, internationally, but you used to get these yellow vaccine cards that you had to, mm-hmm. to take into certain uh, countries. It'd be a digital version of that with essentially a barcode that would would track would um, contain the information of which vaccine you got, even down to the the lot number of that vaccine. And um, you know the the purpose of that is again when you go back for your second dose, they can scan that barcode. And say, okay, I know which one you got now. I know which one you need. 
Um, and it's also, you know, helps to communicate to folks when, you know, get a text message when you need to get your next uh, dose and where to go to get it. Um, I think going across state boundaries is going to be one of the, the big complexities of this because uh, vaccine programs, the administration is typically done at the state level and tracked at the state level. Wow. Well, hey, Taylor, we, we've run out of time here. We've got to go talk about some poor congestion. But if people want to learn more from you, where do we send them to? Uh, so uh, my Twitter is at uh, th Wilkerson. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, and then uh, with again with MITRE, we have a healthcare coalition, which is about a thousand companies working on COVID issues. It's c19hcc.org. Thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know thanks, that, that, that COVID nineteen the the name actually means something. It is coronavirus disease twenty nineteen. That's what the nineteen is in there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You I thought it was the weight you gained from quarantine. COVID-19. Oh, yeah. The quarantine pounds. Yeah. I mean, that's got to go up higher eventually, right? That's got to go up to like 40. Well, I think that was just like a six month. Yeah. 19 pounds. And now we need to extension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a little extension on that one. All right. We're going to go to Brian Kempestein. Now he's the founder at Port X Logistics LLC. And, you know, you couldn't have come at a better time. There's a lot of port congestion going on. We've been reporting it on this show quite a bit. Brian, thank you for joining us here on What the Truck. Oh, my, my pleasure. Yeah, now it's uh, East Coast and West Coast. It's reared its ugly head uh, all over the country. But in the meantime, you are, are you in Bozeman, Montana right now? I live in Bozeman, Montana full time, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Very, a lovely area. A lot of port congestion there in not Bozeman? Not a bad place to be. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's probably not a port congestion. <laughs> no, there's no port congestion here. But uh, I tell you, our offices in uh, New York and California – and even now, Savannah are starting to see it. You know, it started um, on the West Coast, primarily L.A. was, you know, in the news, in the news. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the East Coast become congested as well. Yeah, we, we've been talking about the number yeah. of ships out at anchor at the port of L.A. This morning, Paul Page of The Wall Street Journal, he wrote China exports up 21.1 percent in November, including a 46 percent jump in shipments to the U.S. So a lot of freight there and a lot more freights coming. So break down the state of it for us. And, and how is uh, Port X trying to attack trying to attack that? Yeah, yeah so much for the tariff huh? affecting the trade um, with with the imports being up so much. But. Really, you know, what what does the congestion mean? And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people in the logistics community, especially in the BCO end, you know, what does that mean? And that means us sending a driver to a terminal. He's in line for five hours. His appointment expires. He gets to the speaker. They turn him away. And then we need to make another appointment. And he may have had an empty that he needed to return. So it's this whole ripple effect. And it's not just about how many drivers you need. We've had to add on, um, you know, logistics support staff for appointments to take pictures of the long lines to provide evidence um, of why there's waiting time or why there's dry runs. So it's not just that the congestion is causing issues for the drivers, but from an administrative side, you need to build your staff in order to communicate that appropriately to the NBOCCs and freight forwarders or the BCOs why stuff isn't getting picked up, why it costs more, why there's all these additional charges, why there might be a chassis split because one terminal didn't have a chassis, but another one did. So, you know, people think of congestion as, oh, it just takes a while and our guys just have to wait. But there's so much more involved than just the waiting time. 
Yeah, there's there certainly is trying to coordinate those containers and empty containers and where do you put them? And like you said, the dry runs that are going on, you see a lot of efforts now to try and try and improve that situation. Uh, what does how does how does Port X fall into that solutions category? Well, I mean, our biggest thing is, you know, we provide drayage, transloading and trucking to expedite containerized cargo. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, we're, we're, you know, line down situation, product fulfillment, um, and we're trying to allocate drivers ahead of time. So um, we're getting container numbers and or delivery orders uh, five to seven days in advance. We're scheduling those drivers. We're scheduling dock space and we're scheduling over the road drivers to make sure um, that somebody in. Chicago, for example, that needs um, their hair dryers uh, picked up, drayed, transloaded, and trucked 2,000 miles in two days, that we can pull that off. Um, and for us, in order to pull it off, it's all about pre-planning right now, because if you wait to the last minute, this congestion will just kill you. You know, I was looking at, and it's not just the congestion that kills you, it's also the chassis. I was looking at your week 47 report of the port of LA, and it said that they were negative 239 chassis. And that's a problem that only How tends that to compound right? upon How itself. Be negative? I, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like my bank account but, when I was you know, 20. <laughs> the, the dwell times is what is hurting, right? So um, the average container is now out in the community instead of like three and a half days over seven days. So because it's out in the community, there's no warehouse space, there's no empty return appointments, that just exacerbates that, uh, that chassis issue. Um, and these record imports just are not stopping. And everything that we're seeing is uh, don't plan on it stopping um, until Chinese New Year or possibly after. Yeah, we're hearing the same thing as far as, uh, you know, the bullish nature of the import situation going past uh, uh, Chinese New Year into Q2 even uh, and looking at our own bookings that are going out there. So um, what are, are there new technologies coming forth to, to, to help this? I saw Port of L.A. was looking at return signals. Are you familiar with return signals, trying to schedule that yeah. and make sure that there's a drop and hook type of situation going on? Yeah, no, it sounds great. Um, we're optimistic that that will work in the future. But just like any rollout, <clears throat> you guys were talking about, you know, getting the vaccine rolled out and the bumps the, in the road. I, I think it can be a long term solution, but it's not going to help us between now and February get the mess cleaned up um, that we're currently in. So, mm -hmm. you know, we think we're just going to have to grind through it. You know, technology that we've used internally um, is the Turbo Driver app. So we know when the drivers are at the ports. Um, our customers can see when the drivers are in line, when they're in gating. So that is helpful, um, but still you need all that human capital to make new appointments, uh, to communicate that there was a chassis split. We're trying to take pictures of these long lines because, you know, if you've got something in the port of uh, L.A. and the customer's in, you know, Long Island, he's like, well, why is it taking so long? So <laughs> we're trying to do everything that we can to substantiate that. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, all these accessorials add up and somebody's got to pay the bill. Yeah, is, is a lot of this just managing the people? Because uh, Michael and I were telling war stories from the West Coast port crisis that happened mm -hmm. several years ago. And I remember selling freight at that time. And I had one customer who, like, I, they had eight shipments on the same boat. And the boat was at anchor. And the boat's on their arrival notice. But they kept calling me and being like, well, where's this shipment? Same boat as the last one you called yeah. about. Same boat as the last one. Same boat. As so a lot of it, you keep mentioning taking pictures of lines. Is it just... um having some evidence to show your shipping partners so they don't get pissed off at you? Basically, yes. 
It's proactively providing that communication. That's one thing that we always stress at PortX is proactive communication. So we'll go through and we'll do a screenshot of the terminal availability, um, if there's a customs hold, any issues, and we try to send that out at every container every day, which is a laborious task, but the freight forwarder then knows when they come in in the morning exactly the status of their container. Mm -hmm. They can update the beneficial cargo owner. This is the status of the container because that's the last thing that we want is to be getting inundated with all this inbound um, questions and communication and them not trusting the process. So we're trying to get out in, uh, in front of it, provide that proactive communication. But as I said, that requires a lot of human capital. And I don't think a lot of people in the shipping industry or the shipping world, logistics world, understand just how many humans it still takes to reach out to these multiple different sites and put all that communication together, especially when you're doing multimodal transportation of the drayage, the transloading, and the trucking. We're not just one piece of the puzzle. We're, we're coordinating everything end to end. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's really really key, Brian. Is I, I was in the uh, uh, maritime industry, and it's amazing how many, uh, you know, the, the, the beneficial or the BCOs, the beneficial cargo owners or shippers or, or consignees, if you will, don't understand all the pieces that you're trying to hook together. And, sure. and you guys do that. To be clear, you you you've got the ship schedule. You're working with the port operations, the you know the longshoremen, if you will, or the gantry cranes, etc. The stevedoring, I should say, uh, the drayage, and then the inland transfer to over the road or warehouse, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of those components. So you know we are. Um, domestic, so we only provide the the drayage, the transload, and the trucking. We're not coordinating the overseas, but mm -hmm. still, we're having our customers give us the delivery orders or the work orders 72 hours prior to the vessel arrival, so we can track that on the, on their behalf. So we're providing that as a um, an added benefit to our customers, but really, we're doing it selfishly for us, so we can allocate all the equipment, the people, the warehouse and the over the road drivers and proactively plan. Cause as I mentioned, if you try to, if you call me right now and say, Hey, can you go over to uh, 8 PM in Long Beach and grab that container today? It's just not going to happen. So, you know, we're, we're trying to proactively provide that communication, um, give that to our customers and allow it to be as seamless as possible uh, in the current environment. Well, Brian, this is a problem that a lot of uh, a lot of shippers and brokers are dealing with right now as are carriers. So how where do we send them to to learn more information about yourself and PortX Logistics? Um, the best place is probably PortXLogistics.com um, on our blog, um, which you read about week 47. You know, we pride ourselves in being subject matter experts and whether we're your trucker of choice or not. We want to provide that industry knowledge. And then you can also check us out on the uh, PortX Logistics a LinkedIn page where we have um, continuous updates as to what's going on at various terminals uh, around the country. Brian, thank you once again. Happy holidays, and thank you for joining us on What the Truck. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Wow. Good stuff, man. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. There, there is, and you know, it's so hard when there when there's all this congestion at the ports because you don't have a great answer for your customer. They call you up and they go, "Well, where is my freight?" And it's like it's at anchor. I don't, we don't know. Well, when it, it's got to get offloaded, it's got to clear customs, it's got to not get yeah. examined, it's got to find a chassis, it's got to get on the truck, it's got to gate out. Like you know, we yeah. we don't know yet. We'll keep you abreast of it. But data would definitely help tell that narrative. That that West Coast port crisis, man, that was a real pain in the butt, especially if. 
you guys out there have lived through it. I'm sure you know. And I oh, imagine yeah. right now um, I empathize with all you brokers who are having to deal with with those phone calls. Maybe some like Portex can help you out. In the meantime, though, let's talk to Cheaton Marichli. He is the CEO and co-founder of Locomation. They deal with uh, truck platooning. Uh, I think that's where you got what one driver driving the real truck and then you got the computer driver driving the truck behind it. I hope it's in that order. I think it's something like, yeah, one or the other. <laughs> Who's a wagging who here? On a computer? I'm not sure. Well, Cheaton, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. We heard, okay, so we heard that you played bass guitar in a band in Turkey? Yes. Uh, I, I've done a few interesting things in, in my time back in the day. In fact, uh, I was actually in the same band with my brother, who was also playing guitar and who is our uh, chief technology officer at Locomation now. Oh, wow. Well, what kind of music did you play? Uh, mostly classical rock, Pink Floyd, uh, uh-huh. psychedelic, progressive. Nice. Wow, nice. Well, so how did so <laughs> you and awesome. your brother, you're doing this, you're, you're playing the Floyd, you're doing some deep space trucking, uh, yeah. some Blue Oyster Cult maybe. Yeah, maybe you're banging dining. a little cowbell on that drum riser back there playing that bass. But then you go, you come to America, you start Locomation AI. Tell us, how did that come about? Why did you start the company and, and uh, let us inside? We just felt like we, we got to uh, have more cowbell. So um, <laughs> Locomation was the right way to do that. But uh, joking aside, uh, myself, my brother, the rest of our founding team, we were at uh, Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute, effectively working on autonomous vehicles way before they were cool. So we uh, watched the entire autonomous driving space unfolding before our eyes. But we always felt closer to freight transportation and um, and trucking. And we uh, identified bigger pain points that automation if deployed safely, quickly, and responsibly, can actually help uh, everybody involved in the freight transportation. That's how we decided to uh, launch Locomation. And at Locomation, we are working on many different flavors of autonomous driving uh, problem. And eventually, we believe that the future of freight one day is going to be mostly autonomous. But uh, it is all about how, how do we get from where we are today to that eventual future, again, in a safe and responsible way. We believe autonomous convoys, where, as you beautifully put in at the beginning, uh, there is a driver in the lead truck, and the follower truck follows the lead truck uh, fully autonomously, is the right way to start deploying autonomous driving. Excellent. I, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, Turkish um, classic rock scene in Pittsburgh is is huge. Oh wow! So <laughs> it's been the that counting. <laughs> so you got you got that going. But uh, so explain that a little bit uh, a little bit more. Let's dig into that that the two truck automation, the 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 computerized truck platooning with the driver truck in in front. Why is that safer, and how does that help build that gap or bridge that gap as we're going from driver to fully autonomous? So uh, thinking about uh, automating the driving of uh, big rigs is a little bit different than uh, thinking about passenger cars or any any, uh, smaller vehicles. As you very well know, a a fully loaded truck can be around uh, 40 tons or 80,000 pounds. And on the interstates, they are going down at 70 miles an hour. So it is a big steel bulk projectile. Uh, So there is literally no room for any kind of mishap. Safety is the the top priority and the second priority and the third priority, and it has to be that way. Uh, 
And when we talk about safety, of course, we need to think about what can go wrong, what kind of hardware problems we might encounter. But uh, the mostly uh, the accidents happen because someone else on the road decides to do something stupid or illegal, or there is an unforeseen situation going on on the road. So we need to make sure that whatever we are doing to self-drive the trucks is able to understand anything and everything that might be going on on the road. And that's just a tall order. Uh, don't get me wrong. We believe that eventually that's going to happen, and we believe that locomotion is going to get there first. But it's not today. It's not tomorrow. It is a long road. And uh, in the interim, we have the best uh, capabilities in the world. We have, we have experienced truck drivers already doing that job. And uh, they are uh, already suffering from several pain points. So why don't we get technology to help the existing truck drivers as a starting point and see where it takes us to, is uh, the philosophy that we, we adopt at Locomation. And maybe just very quickly on the technology itself, when you look at a, a, a Locomation autonomous convoy, the uh, the second truck is actually a, a fully self-driving truck with sensors, with decision-making capabilities. It, it knows where it is on its lane. It knows where the lead truck is. It also talks to the lead truck over a dedicated radio channel. But ultimately, it does not have to, from the beginning, it does not have to uh, recognize construction zones or site-parked cars or any kind of debris on the road. These are for the, uh, the lead driver to uh, understand and to react to. And the only thing the autonomy has to do is to just follow the footsteps of the leader. That is just a natural way of getting things going, we believe. You know, we had a story on FreightWaves.com a couple of weeks ago about truck platooning being at risk because of Wi-Fi supersizing by the FCC. Can you, uh, what's the deal there and, and what, what kind of issue, if any, will that cause? Yeah, I... I I'm glad you, you bring that up. Uh, platooning inherently does not rely on uh, any particular way of radio communication. Radio communication is an important part, especially from the safety point of view. But, uh, for instance, at Locomation, we are agnostic of the underlying wireless communication protocol. If DSRC is available, we can use that. If 5G is available, we can use that too, or, or any other wireless communication protocol. So while we... Uh, we urge the industry and the regulators to think deeply about uh, these uh, channel allocations before making it permanent. Uh, ultimately, we are not going to be impacted by that. Very interesting. I, I, a question just occurred to me, and, and hopefully you can speak to this. So when you're talking about these these platooning, right, it's, it's basically a wirelessly tethered trailer almost, right? So is there discussion on, you know, I mean, vehicle combinations? Is that wireless uh, being looked at by regulators as uh, still a tether, even though it's not a mechanical, physical um, tether? No, not really. Uh, the, uh, you're right. The, the gap between the two vehicles are closer than uh, usual, but they are not considered uh, as a, a, a full-on tether from that okay. point of view. Anything. The, uh, a better analogy could be that you have an out-of-town guest, you are going out to dinner back in the pre-COVID days, you go out to dinner and you are in the front vehicle showing them the way because they are, they, they are not familiar with the environment and they quote-unquote tailgate you 
to, to just follow your lead. Our situation is more closer to that loosely coupled to in otherwise independent vehicles than a full-on tether. Got you. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Whenever people, they're like, I'm like, man, it's 2020. Just put the address in your GPS. Yeah. You know, like, don't, don't rely on having to follow <laughs> exactly. me and, and me worry about where you are behind me. Like, just put it in the GPS. Yeah. Right? There's, That'll I, I, be I, like I, the platooner, your GPS. Let the let technology do the guiding there. I agree with you. There's well, nothing I, worse well, than following somebody as leading them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, I, we appreciate your time today. Where do we send people to learn more information about locomation and uh, to find out more information about the exciting space that is platooning? This has been a delight, and thank you again for, for having me. Uh, locomation.ai, our website, is a good starting point. Uh, also, people can follow us on Twitter, again, locomation.ai, and uh, find us on um, LinkedIn, again, locomation.ai. We are very active in these two channels, and our website actually provides links to, to all of all, all other um, social media appearances. Thank you okay. so much. Well, you and your brother have to pick up those instruments. You got to oh, yeah. get the band back together and, and come on and play it forward with us in the future. So definitely, definitely exactly do that. Want. Okay, well, do I'll, I'll give you some details on that. I'll, I'll, I'll touch base with Susan. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Take, Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Take it easy. Happy holidays. Awesome. Take, take care. Bye bye. Nice. Very nice. interesting. I, stuff. I like it. We're going to get the brothers on. They're going to bring in some classic rock. Yeah, some Pink Floyd. Yeah. Well, I mean, like some sort of knockoff. Right. Yeah, Pink Floyd <laughs> in the style of. In the style of. In the style of. Hey, so over <laughs> the weekend, you may have seen, they announced, right, that Jake Paul, YouTuber Jake Paul, is going to be facing 50 and 0 Floyd Merriweather. Well, if you're a longtime viewer of this show, you know in the octagon, Michael Vincent has challenged our next guest. It is Chris Jolly, <laughs> the freight couch, otherwise known as the freight coach. Chris Jolly! Welcome to What the what? Truck. What's going on, guys? How are we? <laughs> I just like that. I just like that intro. Oh, that was perfect. I was going to say, I, like, I honestly thought that was a, just a pure setup earlier today because Vincent was ready to, he's, he called me out and I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the freight couch well, in the house. Well, who do, you, who do you guys got though? Before we even get into it, who do you got? Because I'm kind of like celebrity death matches back. I think they figured out yeah. they can make money with these like exhibition yeah. boxing things. It's not as regulated. You can get a little bit more pro wrestling with it. So who do you got? Jake Paul or Mayweather? Chris, you first. Mayweather. Mayweather's yeah. going to wreck shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could get bad. Yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, yeah I'm with him too. I'm with <laughs> so him a YouTuber. Like, I don't care who's training him because he's rich. Like, you uh, know, it's yeah. Mayweather. <laughs> well, you know what? They, they, he's got to train. They got to train. They got it together, right? They need their own coaching, yeah. and they're going to have to finish 2020 strong. It's very easy to lose sight of it. Myself, I'm going on vacation, and uh, I'm, I'm leaving on the 16th. And I've, you know, I'm not saying I have a foot out the door, but you know, I see the end. I see the end. I'm looking yeah. over the rainbow. How do you stay focused? How do you finish strong, Chris? You know, I, I guess finishing finishing the year strong is by implementing your 2021 goals today. You know, I, I think that whatever you want to start, like, don't wait for the turn of the calendar because it's it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I'm speaking purely from experience. You know, I want it if, if, if I have anything I want to change for 2021, I've already started it in the month of December. I got a head start because one thing I've known experience, like you go out on New Year's, if you're if you want to go hit the gym, you know, and get healthy, you got to start January 1st, not two days later after your hangover wears off, essentially, you know, so I think like you're already starting out at a disadvantage at that point. So like, I, I, I'm just such a firm believer that the small incremental changes that you want to make, you need to start now, 
and, you know, get that uncomfort out of the way. Cause it's only a matter of time before, you know, it starts becoming more of your daily routine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to beat Vincent in the octagon, you got to start training now, right, Chris? Oh, I mean, I've been, you I've been training since you. I've been training since you called my name out. I go to the gym every morning at four fifteen. I'm ready. Yeah, but you, you you have to go in there and actually sweat, dude. You just you can't just go there and watch. Um, <laughs> oh, love he's it. looking at game tape. <laughs> he's watching exactly. game tape. That's what it is. I'm really good at looking at the tape. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, one of one of the traps that everybody falls into, though, Chris, I, I really think is 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 it's almost like that end of the month thing, right? You've got these end of the month goals. You got to hit this quota every month, right? And once you hit it, you take your your foot off off the gas, yeah. consciously or subconsciously. You do right, and at the end of the year, you do the same thing. And it's a great point. Start implementing twenty twenty one now because you can't just you can't turn the spigot off on your on your on your uh, you know on your supply there just because you got two weeks you're going to go up to boston mass and hang out with with your your parents for a little bit right you got it you got to keep it going and that's kind of that hey i had a great year i can let it off a little bit and we'll go kill it again next year or it's been a tough year let me regroup and stuff like that you've got to keep the foot on the on the accelerator right yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And even if you're, you know, if you're in the boat right now where you haven't hit your goals, you know, like you are behind, set something that you can attain to end the year on a high note. Like even if you're tens of thousands of dollars away, whatever that is, I just think that set a goal to finish the year strong on that you know that you can hit, or you know that with a lot of effort that you say you're going to implement in 2021, start that right now and and hit that and get that sense of satisfaction because it is, it only takes a couple of things a couple of wins, and then they're going to start ma- uh, amassing into a larger victory overall. Yeah, I got to say, too, like a lot of people make New Year's resolutions and they break them because they're easy because you don't put a lot of stake in it. So for me, mm. resolution without reflection is pointless. And if you're not reviewing what you did and what you may have done wrong and, and making those corrective steps, uh, you're not going to go very far. You're going to go to the gym on the first and you're not going to go back. You, you know, after the third, you're going to be you're going to be gone. But in terms of the sales context, every single rep, especially if your fiscal yep. year ends at the end of this year, you know whether you're making numbers or not. Actually, you probably knew back in the fall whether you're making numbers or not. Yeah. Would you recommend to those reps? Not to only to just review the past year, but maybe be a little proactive. Go to that sales manager because mm-hmm. they look, they know, you know, you're not going to hide from the numbers in Salesforce, especially if you know your sales manager. Would you recommend going up to them and saying, hey, here's I know I didn't make it this year. Here's my action plan for next year. No, 100 percent. I mean, I, you, you have to you, you have to look in the mirror at the end of the day because, you know, that your numbers don't lie like that. You know, like that's the one scoreboard in sales that never lies and own up to it. Like, it's fine. Like if you're not hitting it, but work towards hitting it tomorrow though, you know, and make, make that effort visible though. Don't just go in there and tell your sales manager, Hey, I've identified that I didn't hit my mark. I'll fix it. And then just go back to your desk and pull up barstool sports and then not go do it, you know? So I just think that you have to immediately start that. And that's, that's a conversation that I, you got to have with yourself all the time, accept reality for what it is, but don't accept where you are today and think that that's where you're going to always be. You know, like it's going to get uncomfortable. Challenge yourself right now. Make that extra 10, 15, 20 calls a week or a day and and push yourself and just get it out. Just get put forth that effort because it's like this is a numbers game. Sales is a numbers game. I've never had the uh, um, shippers reach out to me direct. Unfortunately, I've never had that uh, where they, you know, that Rolodex (laughs) lottery. I've never hit that. So it's got to be, you know, you got to get out there and, and just push yourself. 
You absolutely do. So what do you what do you what do you recommend on a daily basis to to keep that energy going? Right. You can't you can't learn how to be a salesperson. You can't your your football team doesn't practice all all summer or for three or four weeks in the summer and then play each week and expect to be good at the end of the year without continuing to practice. You got to wake up every day and learn how to sell over. How do you set that mindset? What's your triggers to keep yourself in that position? I'm uh, honestly, I just get comfortable with the fact that even the best sales reps are going to get told no, the overwhelmingly majority of the time. Like it's not you, it's not a personal attack on you why you're not converting at the end of the day. And you have to accept that you have to get comfortable with that, you know? And and I think that once you realize that, that it, it is just going to boil down to your effort. And I know it's, it's difficult. I get told no, the overwhelming majority of the time now in, in trying to build this up. And, you know, and that's one thing that we focus in on with my, my coaching clients is that, and especially like you, you need to practice your pitch. You need to see what works, you know, because at the end of the day though, I know this, like this sounds cliche, but people are going to buy from me because they like you. It, like I've said everything right on calls and not gotten any business, but I've also, mm-hmm. and I use this all the time. I've also lost my train of thought. I stumbled over my words. I laughed. And then that sales voice and everything else went out the door and I was like, Hey, I got to start over. I bombed this. Thanks for not hanging up. And guess what? I won, I, I won the business, you mm, know? So yeah. like the, the only method that is proven to be accurate, the only magic bullet and, and whatever is the effort that you put into this at the end of the day, you got to get it. You got to improve because your pitch is going to be the problem. It's not the recipient. They're not, it's not personal. They're not like, I don't like that guy I'm, or girl. I'm not calling him back. It's, you got to work on it, find out what works and continuously try and improve that. You know, I mean, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, best quarterbacks in the NFL, they still have coaches. They still practice every single day. So we have to as well. We are professional sales reps in transportation. All these Pat Mahomes fans are going to start sending you, you hate mail now (laughs) or or us for what you just said right now. Why would you do that on air? Now, you know what it's time for? It's time for it's time for the wheel. You can't escape the wheel. I'm going to spin it. See what you end up with. All right. Question one, what's your obelisk theory? How do you think that obelisk in Utah got there? <laughs> ah, Jesus, I, I hope it's aliens. I, mm, I hope it was right. an alien. But right. based off of what uh, Diesel Dave from the Diesel Brothers put out there is they saw the blade saw in the, in the rock next to oh. it. So, yeah. Oh. It, oh. Yeah, so either the aliens aren't as efficient as we think or somebody put it in the ground. <laughs> okay. My hope is alien. All right. Well, okay. So well, what's yours? Do you have one? I, I was just, I was hoping for the aliens myself. <laughs> yeah. There was yeah. a joke on Twitter that they, they triangulated it. And like the, the center of the triangulation uh, or the, the middle point, the midpoint is um, the pyramid in Memphis, the Bass Pro Shops pyramid, which apparently the Grizzlies used to play at, but now is actually a gigantic fishing store. Oh, is that right? Uh, somehow they can, <laughs> okay. or I think so. I think that's what goes right. on down there. So it was the Memphis Grizzlies? I, well, no, it was the Bass Pro Shops. It was a pro- fishermen, right? right? It was a viral message for that. Who would have done that? Yeah, okay. I liked it. We asked Nassim if you noticed. I watched it back. They didn't give us a, a completely clear answer on if no, they no, did they, that or not. They definitely sidestepped the question. They sidestepped. They're like, no, no, no. We yeah, love the memes, there's, there's but that doesn't there. say if aliens didn't do it or not. No, not they, at all. They you just totally like that it's blamed it. on memes. Now, I'm not yeah. saying anything, NASA. I'm not promoting any theories. Here. I'm just saying. All right, <laughs> yeah, we no, got one more for you. We would we never one promote more something you. that isn't true. <laughs> Well, this is a good one too. You're starting to get, you know, you're doing all your freight coaching videos. You're starting to get a, you're starting to get a bit of a following on LinkedIn. So I got to ask you, what is the weirdest message that you've received on LinkedIn? Oh, I don't know if I can say that. 
on, <laughs> on, on live. <laughs> I just think that uh, um, the, the, the probably the weirdest one was um, I want to start a freight business, but I don't know anything about freight. But hmm. I'm going to go like, how, how would you start it for me? And I'm like, oh. I think that might be something like if you're going to invest a lot of money into this, you might want to know what you're investing your money into prior to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perhaps you're yeah. confused. Yes. You, yeah. you might want to give old, uh, old Jolly over there some advisor shares and stuff too, while you're at it. Yeah, I'm exactly. just asking for this free, this free just coaching. 70, 70% equity. And we'll, we'll yeah. talk. First, send me your bank account number and routing number. Yeah. And I'll, uh... I mean, at least it was positive. Like to me, like the weirdest ones are like any, Anytime, and this doesn't matter, LinkedIn, but anytime in life, if someone, they approach you and they like insult you first and then say they can help you, that to me is like a sort of a toxic warning sign. Like, <laughs> oh, just, just yeah. run away, run away. Don't yeah. do business I, there. I, <laughs> That's why I've, I don't I've trust told, anybody. <laughs> I've, I've been told numerous times that I, uh, if they would take me serious, if my hat was turned around the other way. So that yeah. just makes me want to, that, that just makes me keep it like this even more. Like, sure. come on, bring, bring it on. Bring it yeah, up. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, man, it's yeah. all about differentiation. But if people want to, you know, they want some yeah. coaching from you, they want to catch those great videos you put up every morning on LinkedIn, where should I send them to? Uh, you can email me direct. It's chris at thefreightcoach.com. I'm very active here on LinkedIn. Um, I also uh, do a bunch of stuff on Instagram and Facebook as well. It's just at the freight coach on both of those. Well, thank you very much, Chris. We appreciate your time. Have a happy holidays. Hey, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Finish strong. Peace, brother. Get Finish back strong. in the gym, man. Get back in the gym. Oh, I will. I All will. Right, I'm there. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. All right. Little big deal, little deal for you, okay. Michael Vincent. Oh, for um, me. And let's do this little lightning round. We've only got about seven minutes. So okay. lightning round. Atlanta Startup. Atlanta Startup is building an Amazon for everyone else. You think it's a big deal or a little deal? I think it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see more of this. I think we've, we've seen some articles and we've, we've had some guests on talking about the issues with uh, having all your eggs in one basket, particularly mm -hmm. the behemoth that is Amazon. Not that their uh, supply chain solutions aren't good, but uh, they're not personable at times or sure. personal at times and can't deal specifically with yours. And I think there's room, there's space in this space, if you will, uh, for this type of thing. And I think it's a big deal. I think it'll catch on. I think it'll be great. You know, so he, like Chris Jolly, he just said someone came up to him and they said they don't know where they start. So there's a lot of these in the box solutions that companies are coming out with. Mm -hmm. And I think the differentiator that Storage has here is that they work on um, they're working on all corners of this. Right. They're working on the logistics that encompasses warehousing, fulfillment, transportation, delivery, courier services. So instead of having to go out to a bunch of different vendors and set that up, you can book it through their digital platform. They're not asset based, too. Um, we need to talk to them. I'm not sure how agnostic they are. Are to the marketplace, but um, but that that'll be a curious one. I know every single time I've talked to a vendor that has to that has to do FBA, they love hate it. They love hate it. I mean, yeah. Amazon has to know that too. I don't yeah, think that's I'm an sure unfair they statement. They're, they know they're not this. Well, they're trying to be the solution to everybody, but I mean, they're yeah. smart folks over there at Amazon. Let's yeah. let's let's not kid ourselves, right? But the people at Store, I'd love to get them on. They're they're very smart. Love those guys down. Pretty there, big deal for in that stuff. space, and with e-commerce explosion, Amen. even bigger. Amen. So, all right, uh, big deal, little deal. The Moonrock collection you're always trying to impress us all Ooh, with? Yeah. That you have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about it? Those rocks could be worth some money, man. Mm. NASA wants moon rocks, and they're letting startups name their bidding price, man, to get those moon rocks. You get there and get those moon rocks. Tell us how much you want for it. 
that, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. It actually sounds like some moon rocks in my ear right now. <laughs> um, the, I mean, know what's cool about this is yeah. that, you know, I'm reading through the article that when I saw this news report and um, what the private, what NASA is really trying to do is to get the private sector to start building their own rovers. They're seeing this relationship that they have with SpaceX. And what they did is they said, hey, name how much money you'd want for these moon rocks and we'll, we'll pay you. And then the bids, they range from anywhere from $1 to $1,500. One of those $1 bids did win. And uh, they're going to get their 10 cent check, by the way, because they get that <laughs> initial 10 cents. But what you have to do is you have to, you have to build a rover. Yeah, right. Then you get to right. book it on a rocket and then you have to have it on a lander. And yep. then once you get it there, it gets a little bit easier because you don't have to bring the rocks back. But if you can collect a pound of them, they'll pick them up for you the next time they go up to the moon. They're going to pay you that amount that you asked for. And now you have this development partnership with with NASA. And obviously, you know, the the initial money is a little cheeky. Right. The, yeah, the yeah, dollar. Yeah. It's not yeah. really going to fund anything. No. These guys want to build for NASA. And if they work, they think, well, we'll get these good contracts. Yeah. Big deal. Little do. I mean, I, look, it's a big deal because it's NASA is getting much smarter. I think NASA is getting much smarter yeah. in involving the private sector. So I do think it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Big or little I, smart deal is what I wrote down. Yeah. It's a really brilliant idea by NASA. Anyways. Do you want a heartwarming story? Let's have yes, you jump into I this do. one. I do. I like it, heartwarming so stories. So here it is. A teacher, he turned, this teacher turned his home into a PPE factory. He's been awarded with a brand new Mazda Miata. It's a special edition, 100th anniversary one as well. Big deal or little deal? Uh, I think it's a big deal. Uh, what the guy did was amazing, getting these uh, 3D printers from school and hooking yeah. them up in his house and printing this out. And his reasons for doing it was somebody had to. Yeah. Right, which is tremendous and altruistic and i think celebrating that and rewarding that is uh is great i believe uh, in the article they call it omotanashi yeah is the is the term for putting others first right yeah from mazda that's the japanese which i think i think it's big deal because we should do more of this in recognizing people who do this yeah he's a 26 year old teacher right his name was jason erdreich he's uh and his wife kara is actually the one who uh who sent it in she must have seen that there were suddenly 15 3d printers sitting in her living room and internet <laughs> work so she's like you know what i'm letting i'm letting mazda know about this one we can have a, she can drive around that convertible now blowing her mask off and her hair in the wind but um yeah. i guess 50 people are chosen by Mazda this year to give them one of these Miatas, and he was picked for doing this with the PPE. But it wasn't just, you know, they say give a man a fish and, you know, he'll go hungry again. But he started teaching all the people in his community how to make these masks, too. He involved right. students. He involved right. neighbors. And, um, you know, they weren't out there trying to make money off this. They were just trying to supply the community, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when they when they couldn't be found. And um, I don't know if you follow, like, VC Braggs on Twitter. This is, like, kind of the opposite. On VC Braggs on Twitter, there was there's some guy who started a company. And he's like, oh, boy, you know, we sold $640,000 worth of masks this month. And uh, yeah. I wish we didn't make zero money. It's like, well, I don't think this guy made that much money. Yeah, you didn't have to. You didn't have to make $640,000, no. did you? You flex it. You're making a weird flex there, aren't you? They didn't give it to the guy who went out and bought up all the hand sanitizer and started selling it out of his... <laughs> Remember that early? He's in, in Tennessee, that guy. Yeah, he didn't get a Mazda, did he? He didn't get a Mazda. I don't think no. he did. No, he didn't, he didn't get a Mazda. He didn't get Turkey of the Year either. No, well, yeah, yeah, well, that was our mistake. Maybe. That was our mistake. <laughs> second. He came in second. Yeah. Well, hey, folks, this has been What the Truck. You can find this show on your favorite podcast player of choice. Just look up What the Truck or look up Freightcast. You'll get every single Freightways podcast, including the Midday Market Update, which will be tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Freightways LinkedIn, Freightways Facebook, Freightways uh, 
Freightways link to Freightways, Freightways TV, Freightways TV. Download the app. You can download the app in the in the Apple iTunes store. Which is <laughs> iOS. This thing better in soon. My train of thought. I see. I'm already on vacation. I told you guys. <laughs> no, you download the Apple iTunes store for your Amazon, for your Roku, for all that good stuff. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find me at Timothy Dooner. That is D double O N E R. You can find him at Vincent the Dude. Um, you guys have midday market update coming up tomorrow. As I just mentioned, we have a big holiday show coming up one week from now, and this yeah. thing is going to be holiday AF. I'm turning the cheer, we're turning the cheer faucet up to 11, and oh, yeah. we're breaking the tap off. It's going to be gushing all over the floor. <laughs> it's going to freeze, and we're going to ice skate on all that cheer we just poured everywhere. And you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. We got some great messages, too, from people internally and outside the industry. We've had some songs recorded. It's going to be a blast, dude. Yeah, it is. I'm working on one that might have a surprise. Okay. Yeah, I gave you a list. I gave you a list of the, uh, yeah, the royalty-free Christmas songs that are out there. There's yeah. a whole bunch of them, too. Yeah, there are, actually. Like, we three There's ships. decent tunes yeah. on that list. We three ships of merry gentlemen. Merry gentlemen. Merry gentlemen. <laughs>